Um, and thinking about our text in John 13, so if you have a Bible, you can go there. But I was thinking about that, and I think it's super important for us to remember where in the timeline, in the storyline, John 13 is. And I was just thinking about this question. I want to ask you this question as I thought about this question. What's your plan for the last week of your life? If you knew that you were in the last week of your life, what would you do? And we've all thought about that question. We've all seen movies about your bucket list and we all maybe have a bucket list or we've joked about having a bucket list. But in reality, where we step into John 13, we're with Jesus on Thursday of his final week. Just before he would be betrayed by a very close friend, crucified by the same people that were chanting Hosanna. But thanks be to God, he would then rise again. That's all about to come. Very interesting, because John 13 through 16, these next few chapters are loaded with promises that God makes to you and me. And then chapter 17, kind of a pinnacle, I talk about it all the time. Chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer for us that God would follow through on all the promises He's about to make. And of course, He will and does. But in all of that, five chapters in a row, think about this, five chapters in a row in the Bible from Jesus' closest disciple about how much he loves you, how much he loves me, how much he loves us. So let's be reminded as we dive in, God is love. He, he's not just an expression of love. He doesn't just love really well. God actually is love. Super important for us to recognize that because what we're about to look at and the invitation that Jesus is about to make is for you and for me to dive into love. That sounds great. It'll probably preach fine if I can get my act together. But super hard to live. Super hard to live. How, how do I... Love someone the way Jesus loves me. But let, let's do this as we start. Why don't you stand to your feet? And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. But I just want to read the first 17 verses and just standing and participating with our body as we worship God by listening to His Word. I'll read it. You can just follow along. Verse 1 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, so this is prior to that feast, when Jesus knew... That his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. How about this statement? Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want some of that. <laughs> During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. That's super important because... What Jesus is about to do, what we're going to talk about today, was in the context of knowing that a really good friend was about to have him murdered. I think sometimes we glorify the story and we forget that Jesus experienced all the emotions that we did. He wept when Lazarus died, and now one of his close friends is going to hope that he will die. 
Powerful stuff. So knowing that Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now, in context, this would have blown their minds because the guest of honor doesn't get the towel, doesn't get on the floor and doesn't do anything on the floor other than recline and eat. So this is pretty fascinating stuff for those that were sitting there. Ties the towel around his waist for five. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is super interesting, right? We've been saying this whole time. That we're seeing Jesus through the glasses, the goggles through which we're seeing him is his interactions with people. So we've mentioned that Jesus and the Father are communicating. Jesus knows that Judas and the devil are communicating. And Jesus is interacting in that space. And so now enter Peter. You always got to have Peter, right? I love this. He came to Simon Peter, verse 6, and said to him, and who said to him? Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Which was the right question, by the way. That was the correct question. And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. (laughs) Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, I love this guy. (laughs) Lord, then don't just wash my feet, but wash my hands, my head, wash all of me. Right? He's got the right idea. But listen to what Jesus says here. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed (laughs) does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Why don't you lift up your voice and say completely. Pretty important. And you are clean, Peter, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You call me teacher and Lord. Redeemer City Church, we call him teacher and Lord. And you are right, for so I am. If I then are your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if, what, you do them. You can be seated. Let's just jump right out of the gate. Let me say this to you. Only humble people can love. Think about it. Only humble people can love. Now don't, don't get me wrong. People who aren't humble can do acts of love, but it's not really loving because what are we looking for on the back end? We're looking for some of that ROI, right? We need some of that return on investment. I'm going to do this for you. Now you do that 
for me. But that's not really love, right? That's a contract. Only humble people love. The more interested you are in yourself, the more I am interested in myself, which is pretty interested, by the way, the less you will be interested in other people. True or false? It just kind of happens, right? I'm super selfish. And so are you. We can love each other through that, can't we? The more you think about yourself, the more you'll serve yourself. The more you entertain yourself, the less interested you'll be to think about and serve someone else. It's super difficult. We can say it this way. The lower you go, the higher they go. Biblical love sacrifices. Biblical love is fully devoted. Fully devoted to the good of the other with no regard for reciprocating love coming back your way. The early church father, St. Augustine, this will be on the screen for you, reminds us of this. Here's what he said. He said, the human pilgrimage to the heavenly Jerusalem begins with imitating, this is important, the humble Christ. Christus humilis, super important concept. Christ, listen to this. Christ, the humble physician, heals the wounds caused by pride with the medicine of humility. Christ is the master of humility. And this is so interesting because, remember, we've been learning from Jesus through those interactions with people And then we notice who's sitting at the table as he washes their feet. Could there be anything more inverted from what we are used to than to watch the Savior of the world get down and wash the feet of the one who would kill him? There's a picture there for us. He's got these twelve, he's got the inner circle, but the problem is that there's one inside of Jesus' circle. You ever been betrayed by a friend? Somebody ever let you down to the degree that you just can't look them in the eye? Yeah. You ever had your heart broken by another human? We could just go on and on, right? Like, yes. Here's this inner circle, but one of the twelve is a traitor. One of the twelve, literally the scripture says, has an idea from Satan planted in his heart. Wow. It's on the heels of that. John makes sure to tell us that Jesus is aware of that. He's communicating with the Father. He knows His time has come. He knows His time will come through the hands of one of His twelve. And it's in that moment that Jesus gets up from the table. Wraps a towel around His waist and begins to wash their feet. It was time to die. And so Jesus has a few more moments to communicate to his disciples and to communicate to us before he dies and rises again and the greatest movement ever known as the church would commence. He has another opportunity reclined at the table to communicate to them what exactly he was looking for when he left the planet he knew his hour had come. I think Irenaeus was on to something. This will be on the screen for you too when he said these words so many years ago. He said, the business of the Christian, 
is nothing else but to be ever preparing for death. We don't like to think that way. But death is the great equalizer, isn't it? It's the only thing that hovers right around 100%. Your time is coming. What are you going to do with your life? Jesus, the one who had condescended the most, sacrificed the most, was now loving the most. But here's the deal. He's calling you and me, his apprentices, to do the same. It's pretty awesome. More on that in a minute. But there's another action, right? Enter Peter, always entertaining. He rightly thinks that Jesus is too awesome to wash his feet. He's seeing this as socially inappropriate. It's not appropriate for you, my God, my Lord, to get down and wash my feet. And he's right. Not surprisingly though, and listen, this is super important for us because we're going to do things to serve our city, but we're not doing them to serve our city just for the heck of it. Right? We're, we're, we're not just doing it because we're supposed to. Think this through. Jesus is seeing something deeper than a social construct can communicate. He's communicating the critical aspect of following Him. What does it look like in real life, in practical terms, to love somebody to the end? To be marked. To be filled. To be loving. But here's the most convicting part, right? Be really easy for me to corporatize this sermon. And just be like, we should love more. And you would say, yes. <laughs> You're not wrong. What's really convicting for me, though, is it would be really easy for me to preach to you and think about how you should be more loving. And I might not even be wrong. Maybe you need to be more loving. But Jesus isn't doing that here. He's not. He's getting Peter to think about how much Jesus loved Peter. And how much Peter can, not should, can love others because he is so solid with Jesus He's so loved by Jesus. He's so changed by Jesus. His vision is so set on Jesus that it is actually realistic for him to love other people the way that Jesus is demonstrating love to him without needing anything in return from those people. The book of Acts literally takes place because of the transformation taking place at this table. Well, that's the juxtaposition of Peter and Judas sitting at this table is deafening. So the convicting part, back to that, I'm not that loving. I'm not that loving. I don't know what it's like to love someone like that yet. Pray for Camden. She chuckled. Because it's true. Right? Like, we're still in process. We're still fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
And Peter's learning that in this moment. Now listen, I've had moments of it. I've tasted it. I've definitely been on the receiving end of it. And yet the invitation Jesus is making to every one of us is to call, to to all of us that call Jesus Lord, is into this place where we're so moved by the fact that He got down and washed my feet that I can get down and wash yours. So with all that, I, I think there's just, before we run to communion, I think there's just one spiritual truth I want you to grasp onto today. And, and here it is. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to think about it. You can write it down if you want to. But here's, here's what I want you to get your heart wrapped around today. Cleansing, what Jesus is doing here, cleansing isn't a social construct. It's a spiritual reality. It's really happening. It can happen. Look at verse 10 and 11 again. Here's what he says. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is how clean? Completely clean. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he was about to go lay down his life of his own accord To pay for your freedom. He would get on the cross with his arms outstretched and say, It is what? Finished. Freedom accomplished. For God so loved the what? World that he gave his only son that whoever. How many people? Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's reality. It's real. Peter was right to point out that it was socially inappropriate for Jesus to wash his feet. Someone else had that job, not the guest of honor, but Jesus was using that social context to teach his disciples a much deeper lesson. Even with the ones sitting at the table who wasn't clean. Listen, listen, it doesn't actually matter that Judas is feet were dirty, Jesus was saying. It matters that his entire heart was dirty. He had his heart listening to the devil and it was set on betraying Jesus. Lies had been planted in his soul. The self-awareness that Jesus had to have to take this insanely damaging reality, to be seated at the table with the one who would have him killed and flip it on his head, on its head to use it to teach all of us for the rest of his kingdom, what it looks like to love somebody to the end. To love each other fully is truly spectacular. It really is. And yet, for so many of us, myself at the front of the line, we never get to have that spiritual reality because for too many of us, listen, I said all of that, because for many of us, loving people is too much of a social transaction. It's I'm supposed to do this, or I need to do that, or I have to show up here. When that's not at all what we're really trying. When you love somebody, it's not work. And this isn't like us, us like dogging on each other. It's just reality. I don't see Jesus quite clearly enough yet. I haven't really believed Him enough yet that I can love people like that. Because here's the deal. If I knew somebody was coming after me or my family... I'm not washing their feet. And maybe that's okay. I don't really know. But I do know 
that Jesus was loving even in that moment. I don't know about you, but I want my reality, my actual lived life, and I think you do too, to look like that. I, I, I want to see the people on my kingdom card the way that Jesus sees them. I want to pray for those names because I love those people and they don't yet have what I have. It's like the parable where the farmer finds out what's in his field and he sells everything that he has and he buys that field and he digs it up because he found treasure. The kingdom of God is like that. I want to look at the people sitting around me and you can do it right now. Look at these people sitting around you and love them the way that Jesus loves them. This is how... We changed the world. That's John 17, right? That was the prayer that we would love each other the way the Father loves the Son. What does that look like? Let's do that. Let's not worry about the show. Let's love. How about that? Man, I want to look at my family and I want to see what Jesus sees. I want to get up from, listen to me, I want to get up from my kingdom table and wrap a towel around my waist and wash my people's feet. The problem I have is that I'd prefer that you get up and wash my feet. Just being real. And if you were real with me, 8 out of 9, 8 out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10 times, that's what we want. But that's not the call here. What I'm actually learning in life the longer I go is that there's actually devastating consequences to living like that. Damaging consequences to living like that. I was talking to one of my friends, another Water's Edge pastor. And he was telling me about an exercise that he's doing and I started doing it Friday and it was kind of humbling and convicting. And I want to encourage you to do it this week is just get out a piece of paper or a journal and write down at the top of it what do I actually want in life you see we get we have a ton of distractions we have a ton of things we have a ton of a lot of stuff but when you really boil it down what are you really looking for in life what do I really want what do I really need and what am I medicating myself with to find it what do I really want I'm realizing that so many of the decisions I make from when I was in middle school all the way to now, no matter what stage of life you're in, are made to compensate for something that on my, on a soul level I'm looking for. So I have a lot, I have a lot of those things I could mention and you probably do too, but I want to get to this idea that I don't want to continue to plan to be in the driver's seat of my soul. That's a place for Jesus. All of it matters because for me to get up from my kingdom and grab a towel with Jesus means that I need to see me less and Jesus more. Because to get down with Jesus on the floor and clean people's feet is messy. Doing life with people, doing life together is messy. You want to know why? Because me and you and every one of you, we're sinners. We sin. Your neighbor sins. 
It doesn't need to shock you that your neighbor doesn't act like Jesus. Or that they don't vote like you think Jesus would vote. Too much, too soon. Right? Let me say it to you this way. God is looking for servants, not celebrities. Right? He's looking for servants. It's taken me way too long to get this. I still don't get it. Like, really get it. This is what I think the early church had. This is what I think happened in Acts. They turned the whole world upside down. It's why Christianity has never been snuffed out and it never will be. Because at the end of the day, the human heart wants to be loved. And real love comes through a person because God is love. This is also why hurry is the enemy of your soul. If you're in a hurry, you don't have time to see people. Busyness slowly creeping in and demanding more and more and more. Measure up, keep up, more and more. So we come full circle to where we started. Back to Augustine's call, right? The human pilgrimage to heavenly Jerusalem. So your journey on the way to be with Jesus begins with imitating the humble Christ. How do I get to that? The next statement. Christ, the humble physician, heals the wounds caused by pride with the medicine of humility because Christ is the master of humility. So as we step towards the communion table, I want to invite you to think about that. First, you might be sitting here and you're not even a Christian. You're not even a follower of Jesus. It begins there. It begins with Christ, the humble physician, healing your heart, healing your soul. Confessing that He is Lord and believing in your heart that He rose from the dead. That those aren't just ideas or things we've made up along the way, but that they're reality that sets you free. So important. And then for the rest of us that are following Jesus, where does the medicine of humility need to meet you in your life? See, because we don't come to church just to hear a good sermon. You don't need a good talk from me. You need Jesus. And so in just a minute, I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to have you file up here and grab juice and a cracker. And a pathetic excuse for a cracker at that. But something takes place when you sit down and we hear the words of God that are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me, let me read them to you says this, flee idolatry, right? Flee idolatry. I speak to sensible people. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? I'm participating in the blood of Christ. What does that even mean? It's a mystery. It's awesome. But here's the deal. We say this in growth track. We say, if there's a place that Jesus is going to be, I want to be there, Right? I don't have to know all the ways that I participate in the blood to know that I'm participating with Jesus in that moment. Is the the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. How do we live a life of humble love? Through Jesus. There is no other way. It's the only way. Because left to ourselves, we don't love like that. 
So it's counterintuitive, but the, the way that you see with Jesus actually begins by seeing Jesus. Begins there. And so I just want to encourage you. As I'm going to have Kevin come up and play. And as he's playing over you, and in just a minute as you stand and you file through, I just encourage you to be thinking, praying, asking the Holy Spirit to impress on you where you need humility. Where you need to see Him more. So that you can love more. I'm not even going to say better because that's not the point. The point is just to love. But for us to get to where we love, we have to know that we're loved. And that the Holy Spirit is with you. So let's do that. Why don't you stand? We're going to do it this way. I'm going to have, there's one on each side. You can just file into the middle and come through and go back into your seat there. And uh, I'm just going to give you a couple minutes to pray. And then after you've had a couple minutes to pray and do business with the Lord, maybe go to 1 Corinthians 11.23 and read through that a little bit. Uh, we'll take the elements together. So why don't you go ahead and file through. Kevin will be playing and we'll, uh, we'll partake together. So go ahead and take these few moments to pray.